Welcome to Overdue Notice, a podcast that explores connections in literature, film, television, and pop culture. We are five nerdy library professionals with passionate opinions, and for some reason, you've chosen to listen to us. Don't know why. In our last episode, we delved too greedily and too deep into our individual and collective psyches using personality tests as our guide. One test we did not note, however, was the how do you prepare for the podcast test, where we are judged based solely on what we use to chronicle our thoughts. I just wanted to point out that we had the full spectrum in our well-rounded group. I, Kip, used a sloppily written notebook that even I couldn't read. JJ had printed off neatly filed sheets. Eli had his laptop and Xander used nothing but his phone and his mind palace. I don't know what that says about us, but there it is. This week, we're going to be discussing superheroes. What makes for a good one? What makes for a great superhero story? And what that may mean in our real daily lives. So, Xander, take it away. Cool. Superheroes are dumb. Superheroes are awesome. Superheroes are the lowest form of entertainment. Superheroes have become the modern day myths. Superheroes encapsulate our ability to hope and dream. They invite us on a journey of self-discovery and adventure. They become a genre all of their own um, that invests in our senses. From epic battles to amazing worlds, superheroes inspire us to be better and to ask for justice. Yet there can be a disconnect, and this immediately severs the emphatic connection. If the action is pushed too far, or instead of wonder, there is a sense of distraction, then there is a loss of humanity. It is our shared sense of understanding and meaning that creates the idea of what if? What if I'm given the same opportunity? It is no longer them, but me, that must fill this role. I can feel this loss or be hopeful in the face of adversity. What would I do? The most meaningful moment in any superhero film is that choice. Time is running out, the villain is winning, and a final choice, a sacrifice, a change, must be made. With great power comes great responsibility. It is our belief in our choice and our humanity that gives us the ability to change. Superheroes strive to choose justice over injustice, good over evil, but it's when they're they're most vulnerable, they must make this decision. Is that, and that is what makes them super. <laughs> um, and a cool way of like introducing superheroes is to give our little bit of an origin story, our creative spiel <laughs> and feeling with them. So I'm gonna push it over to Elijah to get started. <clears throat> All right. So here's my origin story. On September twenty second, nineteen ninety four. The television show Friends aired for the first time, and might I just say that television was never the same again, but that's beside the point. The writers of this incredible series would lead audiences to believe that Monica and Chandler did not hook up until season 4, episode 24, the one with Ross's wedding. But in fact, the seemingly unlikely pair had been on again, off again, since they first met on Thanksgiving of 1987. On September 1st, 1994, a mere 21 days before the show hit screens for the first time and redefined the American sitcom, I was born. That's right. I am the secret love child of Monica Geller and Chandler Bing, equal parts neurotic drive for order and cleanliness, and a self-deprecating sense of humor that I deploy to hide my emotional instability. Now, you might be saying to yourself, I've watched the entirety of Friends seven times. Why did I never know any of this? The writers of the show thought that that the two will-they-won't-they love stories was too much for the show to bear. Since Monica and Chandler were in one of their off-again stages, they cut their romance and my existence from the script. Now, I ask you, what other major event shook the cultural landscape in the first year of my life? May of 1994, in a small family graveyard in Little Hangleton, England, the Dark Lord himself, Voldemort, returned to power. 
as an infant wizard and son of a muggle and a squib, I'll let you guess which is which, I, will sudden, I was suddenly thrust into mortal peril, were it not for the cunning foresight and quick actions of my Aunt Phoebe, I may not have survived. Phoebe knew of a place where I would be safe, a place of her own childhood, Neverland. She sent me away to Neverland, where I was captured and raised by my father, Captain Hook. I have since been sent back to wreak havoc on the academic world as an unnecessarily critical professor of literature. My primary tactic is gaslighting my students until they question the very nature of knowledge and their ability to ever know anything for certain. I even have my own villainous motto. For every argument, there is an equal and opposite counter-argument. <laughs> it should also be noted that my last name is Hook, so that's, that's how I get that last name. <laughs> Kip? Um, I have to say it doesn't surprise me that you're a villain. <laughs> That's all I got. I don't even. I, mean, I don't even know what to do out there. I guess that. it surprises me a little in a superhero podcast that <laughs> you're a villain. That I'm a villain. I'm very anti superhero. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I feel like mine was not as thoroughly researched dates. You call that research? <laughs> That's just that's, that's, that's his real life. <laughs> He's been thinking right. about this for a long time. I've watched Friends seven times. <laughs> I gathered that, yes. Judging by your, you know, catalog of knowledge. Alright. Um So I am not of this world. That that's just a fact that has nothing to do with my made up origin story. Anyway. Um my origin story. My home planet was one of ancient powers. All people were born with an inherent connection to the energies of the earth, the sky, the water, the animals. These energies were subtle but powerful, and as we know, power can corrupt the strong of mind and the weak of heart. A political movement centuries ago left my people paralyzed in the hands of corrupt governing bodies that had learned to siphon those energies away from us and from all living things. I was part of an alliance trained and sworn to reclaim the freedoms and connections of our home. To make a long story short, late. We broke into the main facility in the government compound after years of failed missions and lost friends. Part of my team was tech savvy, so they went to disrupt the power supplies and the computer systems, while the rest of us set up security around them and freed the prisoners and the laborers when we were discovered. During the struggle, I attacked Lord Terranet, a leading warrior for the government. Fighting, we stepped up to the transport ring located in the center of the facility just as the tech team overloaded the power systems. The power surged, and with one hand on my people's talisman and the other around his throat, the ring activated, and I crossed the event horizon, pulling him with me. The surge sent me to this planet and amplified my empathic connections to the point where I can transmute emotional energies into viable power. Lightning, wind, earthquakes if I'm super pissed off. You name it. The upshot of this is that I have great power, the downside is that somewhere on this planet is my arch nemesis. Thank you. That, that's how it's <laughs> Anyway, Jennifer, JJ. Oh, well, I wrote a short story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the first bit. Um, and then I'll give you a little context for it afterwards, I guess. All right. It was a dark and stormy night. No, really, it was. I trudged out of the library after my closing shift, wanting nothing more than to be able to teleport home instantly. 
Instead, I threw the hood of my rain jacket up and sprinted through the torrential downpour across the parking lot to my car, cursing the fact that I always park as far away from the door as possible to be courteous to library patrons. I jammed the button on my key fob more times than necessary as I ran to ensure that the door would be unlocked by the time I got there. As my taillights blinked repeatedly in sync with my frantic button mashing, lightning flashed close by. A deafening clap of thunder sounded as my hand made contact with the door handle. I flung the door open and hurled myself into the driver's seat, slamming the door on the chaos outside. I took a moment to steady my breathing since running is not generally part of my daily routine. I pulled my soaked hood down and quickly realized there was something else in the car with me. Damn it, I practically shrieked, pounding my fists on the steering wheel. Piled in every free seat were the boxes of clothes that I had cleaned out of my closets earlier in the week. Every day I had intended to drop them off at the thrift store to drop box after work, and every day I had told myself, I'll do it tomorrow. I was leaving to go out of town for a trip that next day and would need the space in my car for luggage and other people. The thrift store was less than a minute from the library, near the electrical substation. I had to do it now, in this absolute monsoon. Muttering every curse word I knew and making up some new ones, I started my car and cautiously pulled out of the parking lot, wipers at full speed, knuckles white around the steering wheel. Lightning flashed so close by that it almost seemed to fill the inside of the car, and a monstrous roar of thunder bellowed mere seconds later. I'm going to make this quick and strategic, I told myself. I'm only going to toss out the boxes that I absolutely need to make room. I'll pull right up to the drop box so that the exchange can be quick and hopefully nothing gets too wet. It's going to go great! In moments of panic, I like to try and reassure myself aloud, while also dripping with sarcasm and anger for putting myself in a difficult position in the first place. I pulled up as close to the donation drop box as I possibly could without sideswiping it. The problem with this strategy was that when I actually got out of the car and attempted to put a box in the bin, my car was so close that it was almost impossible to squeeze the boxes in. The first box went in without incident, but the second box became wedged between the drop box door and my car. Soaking wet already at this point with the wind whipping my hair, I let out a howl of frustration as one of the box flaps opened and clothes spilled out onto the sopping wet ground. With a forceful push fueled by anger and a strong desire to be done with the whole thing, I shoved the box the rest of the way into the drop box and quickly began collecting the drenched clothes from the ground. That's when it happened. As if Zeus himself had hurled it with malicious intent and flawless aim, a lightning bolt struck the substation, and before I could process exactly what had happened, a white-hot explosion rocked everything, followed by a void of darkness and quiet. For the rest of my origin story, please see the blog. <clears throat> I, I like feel the frustration in that. But I also just, like, can't help but laugh because just, like, imagining you driving up and thinking, like, oh, I have this great idea, I'm going to get so close, and then that just, that works completely against you. Yes. One thing I found out in my college creative writing classes is that I'm really good at mundane humor, so I played that up a lot. Um, a few notes for my superhero, um, my superpowers, I guess. Um, my husband and I have an ongoing joke that I'm the walking EMP because any time that I happen near his computer, it just crashes inexplicably. Um, so that's where the lightning strike, if you didn't get the obvious foreshadowing, comes in. And uh, you'll have to see what my powers are if you read the, the full story on the blog. And another note um, is that walking EMP... Um, abbreviates to WIMP, which is just super <coughs> wonderful for me. So, yeah. Gender. 
<sighs> my origin story. So one day I'm walking into the high school and I look over and I see my buddy Tommy and I'm like, "What's up, Tommy? How you doing, Tommy?" And he's like, "I'm doing okay, man. You coming to the karate tournament later?" And I'm like, "I don't know karate." He's like, "It's all right, man. I'll give you some moves." And so for the next 30 seconds, he teaches me karate. And he's like, man, you got this. You got attitude. And I'm like, but I'm just a teenager. So what am I supposed to do with this? And he's like, it's all right, man. And then he disappears. And I don't know where he's gone. He's got the big tournament going on. What am I supposed to do? I can't fight. He's only taught me for 30 seconds. And so I go out looking for him. And I see him gathering with five different people, posing and shouting at these strange people that look like they're in horrible outfits. And I'm like, what's happening? Oh my gosh, you'll never guess what it was. Power Rangers. Tommy is a Power Ranger. <laughs> it's so crazy. And so it comes back, of course, makes the cry tournament, wins, because it's Tommy. Like, of course he would. And I'm like, how how do you do this? How do you become a Power Ranger? And he's just like, you know what, man? You just you gotta have the right, the right moves, the right, the right feeling. I'm like, how can I become a Power Ranger? And he's like, it's really simple. And he hands me a Power Ranger thing because he doesn't know the term for it. He just uses it because he's not very smart, but he's a great fighter. <laughs> we all love Tommy. Um, and I'm like, great. When can I next fight with you guys? And he's like, oh, we'll call you. And so I'm waiting, still doing high school, see Tommy and the other guys. I'm like, I'm a Power Ranger now. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's all right. And so they're like, we need you. And I hear this voice and I'm set down. There's a robot and there's a giant mass uh, guy, uh, whatever his name is. Um, he's like, we need you. And I'm like, what do you need me to do? And they're like, well, the Zoids are not uh, clean. <laughs> I'm like, but what do I have to do with it? And so they said, you, you have to clean them. They need a Power Ranger to do this. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's great. And so that's been my job for the last 20 years. There you go. I feel, like, I feel like you were just telling us the dream that you had last night. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. That would be a really cool dream. Also, that makes you like 40-something years old, and I don't know what that's to right. do See, when you are a Power Ranger, you don't age. Yeah. yeah have you seen Jason David Frank lately? Yes. Yeah. I don't know that. What's his name? What did you say? Tommy. Jason. Tommy, yeah. yeah. Tommy, yeah. that guy. Your, your, your friend Tommy, sorry. <laughs> your friend, I'm trying to break the fourth wall. Um, I would like to add, though, that I do have a VHS copy of Tommy Teaches Karate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, see? So I have also been trained by If you yeah. watch it for at least 30 seconds, yeah. YouTube will be the I just, wow. Yeah. After this, I'm going to Oh, I can't reveal my sources of who I am. So. We know it's Tommy. Who? I don't know who you're talking about. Is this another Parallel situation? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, everyone's origin stories were completely different. Imagine that. It's like some of the only villain. Imagine that. It's like some of us made up on the spot. <laughs> so weird. Uh, but anyway, superheroes. I, I love superheroes. Um... I love superheroes for the same reason I love fantasy and sci-fi. I love the escape and the ability to believe in something bigger and the ability of someone else to take the world on and it doesn't matter what they're trying to do, what matters is they are doing it. Um, and I think one of the coolest superheroes of all time that I love talking about is Batman. It's a very controversial figure, um, especially now, but he's been a figure that's been around for 60 
50, 60 plus years because I think he captures a part of being a superhero that I think it's forgotten, especially now with our bigger budget Marvel films and the bigger budget DC films and all the other superhero films is it's just a guy. I mean, it's a guy who has a billion dollars, but <laughs> it's a big plus. But the coolest thing about Batman is like he was wronged as a kid. His parents were killed by a criminal. And he realized that only justice can be done um, by somebody going outside the law uh, and trying to understand who he has to become and a symbol of fighting crime. As opposed to just being one person against the world, he will be the symbol that has people fearing doing any kind of crime in Gotham City. But as you know, that can change. <laughs> and so one of the uh, other cool parts of Batman is how his decision-making has backfired on him. Um, one of the coolest comic books I think um, Elijah and I have read, I don't know if anyone else has read, it's The Long Halloween. Um, it's a really interesting idea of Batman because when he starts being Batman, he fights against the many criminals, but they are like crime bosses and mobsters, um, people who are very corrupt. But as he is a costume figure who fights against these people, they're sent to prison and the replacements are as crazy as he is. So you start seeing people like the Joker and you see the Riddler and you see all these other people kind of try to match his idea of being the symbol. So, so what, what part of that would you boil down to it being like, what makes it a great superhero story for you? What makes him a great superhero? Or, or doesn't, what makes him lack it? I mean, I think because he is just human in a world of Superman and a world of the Flash, he is literally a guy who puts on a suit every single day to fight crime and to be a symbol. He's a guy who can be stabbed. He can get, he's a guy who can be shot. He can honestly be killed, although I think he's died and been brought back to life like hundreds of times by now. Um, but it's, it's his decision to take everything he has in the world and to push it into a singular focus of making sure there's never a kid that experienced what he experienced. Um, it's that decision that he tries to push onto the world and as the comic went further and further, you understand of like how detrimental that vision can be um, because there's even a moment where he establishes a giant network of Batman and robots to basically take over for him <laughs> eventually when he's too old or dies or whatever. But they take control of everything and then you start understanding that maybe the world that Batman truly envisions is a world without crime but also without choice and so you get into that idea of is batman more than what he strived to be or is he still that human being um and i think it goes into that a lot and he's also a detective too so he takes time and when he tries to do and time and when he tries to fight someone so i think that's always been his plus and minuses i hadn't really considered him a normal human being before i guess yeah well, he is though you're right he totally is yeah i think maybe at least to me, when I when I think about Batman, one of the more maybe helpful or insightful things that I can draw from it is this notion that I believe we brought up in the last episode of that we can't allow laws to determine our morality, and I think that that's something that Batman displays well. Is like, you know, like obviously he's choosing to go outside of the law, but he is saying you know laws can be corrupt and justice law does not equate justice. Um, just something that I think is you know, maybe one of the more useful things that we get from, from Batman. One of the things I don't like about Batman, uh, and this isn't 
doesn't hold totally true. Mm-hmm. Um, but ideas of like wealth as being maybe good, and some of some of the criminals that he fights aren't as wealthy. And so this idea of like criminals, you know, we can that stereotype of like poor people being oh like they must be a criminal. Yeah, they they lack certain skills to make it in the world, uh, so they turn to crime instead. Um, But and they go into the idea of like the reason the Joker and other beings are coming into Gotham is because he has set an example Mm -hmm. of this is now a world that welcomes them, good or bad. This is now their hub. This is like now their leader. Um, What I find interesting too about Batman is like the idea of Robin as well, which has gone back and forth because he's had like three or four Robins now. And the idea that it started out as there was a boy, Dick Grayson, who was much like him, and he takes in because he understands how terrible that situation was for him. But then he has them fight crime. Like, he eventually trains this young boy who's like 10 or 12 to fight people like the Joker. And there's even a moment where the Joker beats one of the Robins to death with a crowbar. He's like 15 years old. Um, And so it plays into the idea, once again, of like, what is Batman really doing? Is he helping? Or is he making a terrible situation even worse? Um, with the Dark Knight, <laughs> they go into this a little bit, not much, but there's the idea that the cops are corrupt, but Gordon is the only good one. And to find the Joker, he has to create a surveillance system that is clearly against the law. And so when he creates it and finds the Joker, <laughs> the guy running it, uh, Fox, I can't think of his first name, played by Morgan Freeman, says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. I, I'm quit. Like, There's no way I can like deal with something like this because it's illegal um but realizing like i have to do it because it's the only way to find this crazy guy who's going to kill so many different people so the moment he does it he says batman says to him like make sure you sign your name and then leave but when he does that the machine blows up because batman too realizes if i have this power what am i going to do with it (laughs) like it can be for good but it can go way beyond that and so they try to once again balance of like does batman understand how far is he going and that he needs to go back and it's this constant balance of mm. having total control of the situation or having just enough that you can stop whatever is happening or something that the cops can't stop yeah. like predicting a crime or being that symbol of where people won't be criminals anymore yeah so i don't think he ever calls himself good i don't think he considers mm. himself good so i think that that like that chaotic neutral kind of leaves room for him as a human still mm. to waver between those two I don't know a ton about Batman, but I do think it's interesting from what I've seen that a lot of the villains are portrayed as being mentally ill or mentally Mm -hmm. unstable. And I feel like that's something that I think is very relevant within our criminal justice system, how we tend to penalize people for that instead of getting them the help they need. Um, And I feel like that goes a little bit back to what you were saying about Batman being this, you know, privileged billionaire who maybe has no capacity for compassion Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, I don't know. That comes up a lot too, because there is a moment when the Robin who is killed by Joker, of course, comes back to life. But as a villain, or more of an anti-hero known as the Red Mask, which was the original villain name for Joker, and he kills people with guns, and he questions that. He's like, why in the world do you keep throwing the Joker back in prison when you know he escapes every single time? 
why not just kill him? If you loved me, why not kill him? And I think that's what makes Batman so fascinating, is that he has to constantly live on the edge um, and try to be that person, but also <laughs> needs to understand, like, you are creating the problem. Like, I mean, it could have been a completely different story, and probably even more interesting if Bruce Wayne had just joined the police force. Mm. And there's even a moment where he invests in the police force because Batman's longer needed, but then they start becoming militarized, start having wars in Gotham. Instead of this one man versus them all, it's the cops, this giant group of people versus all the minions and evil people on this side. So it tries to strike that balance yeah. of understanding, but every single villain he fights ends up in Arkham Asylum. Like, I don't even, I think the prison's name is like Black something, Black Prison, but you don't even really hear that name because it's always the mentally ill. Um, there's a great comic called The Killing Joke, which I'm going to spoil <laughs> for everyone. So stop the podcast right now if you don't want to be spoiled. It's great. It's really short. But it's written by the same guy who wrote Watchmen. And I, people consider it one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. But uh, he hates it. Alan Moore has said, like, this is my least favorite story. Like, one of my least favorite stories I've written. But there was a moment where Batman approaches Joker. And he's like, we've been doing this so long. What does it take to stop? I can re rehabilitate you. I'll quit being Batman and be you and I forever trying to figure out what's going on. And Joker's like, we've been through too much. Like, I can't do it. It's like the one serious moment the Joker has of understanding, like, I can't. I can't go back. And then at the end, Batman seemingly kills him. Like, Joker is laughing. And Batman is laughing because he's finally gone insane. But then you stop seeing Joker's laugh or stop hearing Joker's laugh. And so the assumption is that Batman finally kills him. I think so... We're breaching a little into ethics, yeah. And so, a, sort of a framework that's been helpful for me in approaching ethics is we tend to come at it through a sort of uh, dualistic, uh, you know, like you have these two options. Which one do you choose? Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, stop the train and kill you know, one person, or do you kill everybody on the train? Like uh, these sort of moral dilemmas that aren't actually particularly helpful in thinking about ethics um, but a book that I had to read for school last year uh, I think it came out in the 80s it's called After Virtue by Alistair McIntyre one of the most difficult books I've ever read and I had to read it twice uh, but he he approaches this this topic of sort of moral dilemmas uh, and it comes out of through the enlightenment which sort of is what where we get this driving need for uh for you know like solid answers like categories like we want to know is this right or is this wrong when that's not always really the case um it's not the question that we should be asking um and part of what he argues for is coming back to this idea of telos which is like your end goal mm -hmm. um and looking at telos through a particular narrative and so he says that in order to make ethical decisions and I'm overgeneralizing here and summarizing his, his argument quite a bit. Uh, but you have to understand the narrative and the tradition that you stand in, and you have to know what your telos is. You have to know what your end goal that you're striving for is. Um, and so that's an interesting thing to think about with Batman and with the superheroes in general, that in many ways they're trying to tell two different stories. They've got their secret identity, and that's one narrative that they follow. And they've got this public identity um, that sort of is constructing a different narrative, perhaps. 
So, uh, so this idea of like narrative ethics, I think, puts the ending of Killing Joke into a really interesting light. As in, like, he's taking this moment to say, "Hey, like, we can change the narrative that we're standing in. Uh, it has to be done together, but we can do this, and it will totally change our end goal together." And uh, but I think that reflects an interesting sort of thing of like. That narrative is both personal and communal and draws in a lot of different things but it's also very difficult to just say hey we're going to change this because it involves a lot of tradition and i think that's part of what the joker is saying is like there's too much else here like we can't just ignore everything that's happened between us yeah and pretend that we're that we're suddenly going to change this story that's so it's weird too it's very freaky because there is a love between those two characters mm-hmm. Um, not a romantic love but an idea of like we need the other to exist so i can exist like if batman doesn't have the joker who is he fight like who is his arch nemesis what is it because it's order versus control if the joker doesn't have batman what does he do like they have the symbiotic relationship of needing the other one to be who they are this idea of who they are um so to challenge that i thought was really interesting like you said but once again going back to the notion of always being who you are yeah and that like the idea like you brought up bruce wayne funding the police mm-hmm. uh which then kind of works against him mm-hmm. as batman which is just yeah comes into a whole you can't really separate your two like he's trying to have two different narratives but you can't fully separate them yeah there's a great comic the gotham white knight where joker turns good i put in quotation marks because he's finally cured of his disease and so he challenges batman like this guy's been beating me up and i'm insane and they finally go after batman and that's when the uh, gotham city police finally use the tech they got from batman against him and finally set up all these um different advances <laughs> i've never had before and it kind of challenges the idea of batman like is he really needed or are we just used to him is he just batman needs gotham gotham needs batman like what is he really to us a villain or a hero but it's that fascination that I really, really enjoy. But we've been talking about it for a long time. <laughs> There's so much to talk about with Batman. I could talk about it for hours, but I feel like we should move on to other aspects of superheroes. So perhaps you can touch more on that in the blog. Maybe. Back to you. <laughs> so, what makes an excellent superhero story? The answer to that is Taika Waititi. That's all. The answer. (laughs) We love Taika. We do love Taika. Taika, if you're ever listening to this, of course, don't. Anyway, no. Um, So, as we all know, my favorite superhero story is Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok, the movie. Um, Because I think it reestablishes some of the things that I love most about superhero stories. Um, like, as a kid, they're live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 90s movies, with Vanilla Ice and all these giant, you know, real-life turtles, you know, dudes in costume doing karate. And it, it's just, it's got this colorful, optimistic, like, come on, dude, cowabunga, we're just gonna, you know, we're superheroes, even though you're fighting this really, truly evil, dark, horrible thing, you know, in that case, it's the Foot Clan, but 
they also have that that touch of you know the police not solving their problems so they go out and do it but it keeps that lightheartedness to it that i think is something that i've always valued about comics about superheroes and you know you fast forward to the marvel cinematic universe and almost every single one of those movies is i mean they're great stories they're all you know stupid action-packed they are absolutely you know boiling out of the rafters with action and you know suspense and and darkness and humanity and it's just it's a lot but when you get to Thor Ragnarok you see Taika Waititi revisit that original comic booky vibe that color um especially his set work his costumes everything that he does is colorful it's engaging you look at it and there are lines that make you feel like you're looking at a comic book panel um there's sass like give me more sassy thor there's you know that sarcasm the one-liners the really terrible humor like those are the things that have always been redeeming in my mind for a good superhero story and then you have thor who's an amazing superhero Someone who, at that point, has basically been banished from his home because, you know, things happen. Even though he's a god, he's still kind of human in that way. And he comes back to him and he's learned so much. He has this gigantic character arc that you don't even realize is taking place, I think, until Ragnarok. Um, where you see him find his true nature again. Where you see him reclaim his power and I think that that's one of the most powerful things about Ragnarok you know his dead father is like are you god of hammers you know because he's lost his hammer he thinks he's powerless but he's not and he has to have that moment where he can reclaim his true nature his true self and yes he is a superhero but he's a god you know he's not just some vigilante he is a god um and I think it's the most superhero-y scene, superhero-esque-ish, I don't know, um, in, in all of cinematic history for me is the scene on the Bifrost where at the end of the movie where hell is winning, it's that, that scenario that Xander pointed out earlier where the bad guys are winning, the people of Asgard are trying to escape, but they're, you know, getting take, overtaken everything seems hopeless and Thor has this beautiful spiritual realization that he is the god of thunder and he gets the lightning zooming all around him and in his eyes and in his hands and he comes like speeding down onto the Bifrost and you know even Loki's like yeah that's my brother you know like it's a really powerful moment the, there's rock and roll music in the background and you see you know this huge lightning strike and it's just so iconic i think as far as superheroes go because that is his real moment of power for the first time i think in the cinematic universe that he's in um and other than that just like the whole character arc thing i think we forget that these are characters that should be growing too that's what makes them more relatable and you don't see that a ton in in marvel you know they're so caught up in the flash of it and the action um but every single person in Ragnarok has a character arc. Every single one. If it's Scourge, who you don't even meet until this movie, and by the end of it, he is dead. He starts off being kind of a wimp. He's a coward. He doesn't care. He's show off. By the end of it, he's helping save Asgard. With Loki, who we'll discuss in so many future episodes, 
you see him kind of have those moments of, you know, where does his true self lie? Obviously Thor, even Valkyrie, who has turned her back on, on her history, she comes back around. Uh, Odin, he apologizes and tells his sons he loves them. Um, like, literally every character in that movie Matt has Damon. some point of record. What? It's Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon has Loki. <laughs> in the bl- and, which is really funny, because at one point... I was like, man, the only thing that Thor Ragnarok is missing is Sam Neill. And I was like, holy shit, Sam Neill is in Thor Ragnarok. How did I, like, I knew that. But, I mean, this movie literally has everything, including Matt freaking David. Like, I mean, like, how do you do that? They just pull it off somehow. And that's that's the funny bit that I was originally talking about. Um, Just that it has those moments of just, like, truly lighthearted humor stuck in there even though it's literally Ragnarok it's the end of times for Asgard and it still finds a way to be funny um Jeff Goldblum who's like oh, uh, yes oh, thank you yes mm-hmm. um but he is like this cl- criminal slave trader who puts people in gladiator domes for survival and like he's hysterical he's having some weird affair with Loki and um, and he looks freaking fabulous. Oh, he's so fabulous. He's so fabulous. The way he interacts with people. I mean, and then his right-hand man, who is um, a Maori actress, uh, Rachel House, I believe, um, who works with Taika in several other movies, she is like this badass, you know, no-nonsense, whatever. And she still has moments with, with the Grandmaster that are just like, how do you pull off that kind of hysterical chemistry when you're literally sending people to their doom? And it's still fun. Um, and not to mention the devil's anus. The devil's <laughs> anus! We go through the big one. I mean, come on. Like, Bruce Banner is hysterical in this, too. He's wearing Tony Stark's clothes, picking at himself because it's too tight. I mean, just like, every scene of that movie, for me at least, is more enjoyable than the last. And it's because of those little things. Like, Two people who are not super into the Marvel they can name things about this movie. That's why I love it. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm ridiculously all for any Tiger movie at all. But those are the things that help keep nerd culture invested in superhero stories. Those are the things that anybody can invest in no matter what level they are on the fandom. You know, like, you don't have to be totally obsessed with the Marvel Universe to enjoy that movie. Um, and just bringing that humor back, bringing that color back, I think is such an important thing. Because then, you know, we go into Infinity War and Endgame and just, <laughs> don't get me started. But it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's fun. It still gets the point across. There's still so much <clears throat> spirit and heart in it. And I think for me, that's what makes me want to follow superhero stories again. And I think all of that is why I think I, I like Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannah, even Hannah, Lilia, Hannah, Lily, and I were talking about it. Uh, and she was like, "I just don't understand why so many of these movies are just ugly." <laughs> and, she was like, yes. and I think Ragnarok, I think, totally undoes it. At least with the, in that movie, is that like it is like it's fun to look at. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think it's that one. My main issue with. Marvel movies in general is the sort of the need to uh, outdo the one that came before it always and it's always yes. just the action mm-hmm. 
um, or like the big like plot twist reveal that like oh it's got to be even better even more shocking than the one before and Ragnarok outdoes the others with its humor with its ability to balance these different aspects and not rely on this like massive battle at the end Mm -hmm. as like its main thing I don't remember the battle at the end very well. I don't either. It's actually <laughs> very a very short part of the movie. Right. It's yeah. barely like I think the whole the necessity of the battle, other than bringing about Ragnarok and getting Asgard off of Asgard, is the music from the battle more than the battle. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's the setting, yeah, for that scene with mm-hmm. Thor coming to be himself again. Right. You don't remember mm-hmm. like like Fenris Wolf is in that freaking scene and you don't even remember this giant wolf child Loki's demon son (laughs) and nobody knows he's in the movie because the rock music and the color and you know and the diversity like don't even get me started (laughs) there's Maori actors there's black actors there's women in power there's that whole scene between Valkyrie and Thor where he's like ah woman warriors about time you know and it's like that feminist talk that we've all had before with some dude bro you know and he really is trying but like (laughs) trying too hard and there are just so many wonderful little things in every scene and you may not remember the battles and that's awesome in my opinion good forget them they're not the most important part of this like it's the people in in the scenes and the color um but i again i could talk about (laughs) now as somebody on the other end who enjoys this film but i think there are many other marvel films i would prefer to watch i think one of the issues i have with the film is the sense of humor and it was more of my expectation of what the film was going to be because although the thor films (laughs) before are garbage (laughs) so bad there's expectation of it being a more shakespearean story and i like the fact that the other stories are about thor this character who has grown in this whole world of being a god and being a hero and that being his two-dimensional identity is being challenged by going to our world and seeing what humans are like and finally in for Ragnarok I think the challenge is to understand who am I have I changed do I need to change who am I to other people who I want to be Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing that he kind of goes forward with and I love the idea of like the idea of is my brother my friend is he my brother is he my arch enemy and that you don't need to have that label you can just be together you can have that relationship without having it be defined or having yourself be defined because it doesn't have to be that when you finally understand who you are is not a definition you become who you are um you are more than the label that you are given you he becomes more than the god of thunder he becomes mm-hmm. thor himself um but i think that there's so many issues in that film with hulk i think marvel has done a piss poor job of hulk and i hate the way they treat hulk um, I hate the way they treated Hela because I thought she could have been a more interesting character. I thought the idea of her being a weapon that Odin used to declare war and then her coming back to do what she was created to do and trying to figure out who am I the same way Thor was trying to figure it out. I wish they had gotten into that more. Um, I think it's a fun movie, but I enjoy <laughs> other movies like Captain America and I enjoy other movies like Batman because they are given the choice of chaos and order and it's a more serious topic and it's a more serious way of looking at the world so i feel like i get more out of it and thor ragnarok doesn't challenge me in the same way so i don't view it as one of my favorite marvel films um but i think it's such an interesting benchmark on what a superhero genre can be um it doesn't have to be a b and c it can be literally anything and still be 
It could be the devil's <laughs> anus. And again, this is why we're not friends anymore. But oh, <laughs> this, is, this is part of why our friendship works because, like, you and I can have these discussions, and we like the same types of things. Mm. We like the opposite ends of the spectrum, and yeah. I think again, that's one of the most beautiful things about Ragnarok, though, mm. in my opinion, is <laughs> <laughs> um, because where the more serious superhero films. I feel like you have to watch all of them in order and you have to know, you know, yes. like all of the yeah, things. And it's like part of nerddom, part of fandoms in general that I think we forget about is that it's this culture of openness. And yes. it should be. And it should be something that anybody can grasp. Even if they yeah. hate superhero stories, they should be able to watch it and love that. And yeah. they should find something in it that they can enjoy. I mean, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom and, you know, mm-hmm. just darkness and oh, what a world. <laughs> and, you know, like, trust me, I love that. Mm-hmm. I really do. And I love the Shakespearean vibe to it. But I love that this has the ability to, to poke fun at those things, yes. too. I have two things to add to that. When I think of fandom, the thing, the word that comes to mind for me, first and foremost, is acceptance. And that, like, I feel like for so long, we've been convinced that you can't consider yourself a fan of something mm. if you don't read and watch and love every single aspect you of it. You don't know the, the yeah, producers. Exactly. And, people, you know, and like, that kind of toxic nerd elitism yeah. is what turns people off from fandom, mm. and it's uncalled for. And two, I will say, out of all the Marvel movies that have come out, and I'm, I'm not up to date on them, the poster art for Thor Ragnarok, yes, I yep. very vividly remember. And I remember just thinking it was gorgeous and like, hmm, maybe I do want to watch that one. It was so, kind of Jeff Goldblum on the poster. Well, that definitely helped, <laughs> yes. But visually, it's just such a great movie. It is colorful. It is fun. And as someone who typically is not lured in by the Marvel name at all, um, just I remember that poster art being so stunning and it making me think twice like oh this looks like it could be decent. <laughs> Taika Waititi is very mindful of lines in his films mm-hmm. of of the way images are going to seem when you are looking at them on a screen the way you know the rule of thirds plays in the way angles play mm-hmm. in the way colors against colors like they even make a joke about it with Hulk in his bedroom in the one scene uh on Sakaar and it's like red and white, you know, pick a color. And he was just like, <laughs> Thor's so pissed because there's so much going on. And it's like, you're acknowledging that this is, you're hanging a little lantern on that mm-hmm. one. Okay, I get it. <laughs> but like, that is part of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, that colorful design element that so many superhero movies just do not have yeah. at all. I think that speaks to Taika's ability to simultaneously build his own unique world from the ground up, yet include another history with it and to offer a way of saying hey you can come with me on this journey and enjoy these things you don't need to know this it'd be cool if you did it's cool if you don't like this is the world i have built for you to enjoy Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's so cool about that film is that it changes the way we look at marvel films superhero films um because it said hey superhero is what i want it to be it can be anything and as long as you enjoy it that's all that really matters Mm -hmm. and there's a diversity in that yeah yeah. I, think, no, 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 no. I think that that's part of part of my issue with some of these like 
blockbuster superhero film is that idea that like we already said like it has to like they always have to one up the last one yeah uh and that if it doesn't then it's not deserving of our time to even watch but we've kind of in some ways lost this idea of like it's okay to just enjoy a movie mm-hmm. without it having to be this massive thing. Um, I think that's part of what I appreciate about that and part of the reason I've been sort of turned off to superheroes. It's like, what happened to a movie that is just okay, mm-hmm. but we still like it? <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, you can just enjoy watching that superhero and uh, the rest of the cast and crew do the task they set out to do. They finish their little quest, end scene. You know, there's no... Post, post credit, post credit. You know, like you gotta be. Which do you get? Which I do say in the theater. Do not get Absolutely. me wrong. I watch that. But Absolutely. Like, no, no, I totally agree. So, I think back when you know Marvel Phase One, <laughs> whatever phase we're in now, I was uh, I was like pretty invested. I you know it was back in high school, and all my friends were watching it, and I was like, you know, wanted to see them all. Was enjoying them a lot. Uh, but somewhere along the way, maybe somewhere in phase two, I don't know, uh, I kind of got a little disenchanted with it and was just a little like, they're leaving me feeling kind of dry. I feel like I didn't have the energy to just keep watching all of these and know everything. Like, we could talk, like it was just too much. And I uh, kind of gave up <laughs> and realized, like, you know, I don't have to like this just mm-hmm. because it's like this cultural phenomenon. Uh, but that being said, there are a few that I do really, uh, enjoy and appreciate for different reasons. So one is Thor Ragnarok, which I've already explained a little bit of why I like that. Another perhaps more controversial one that a lot of people don't like, and I understand the reasons for not liking it, uh, is Jessica Jones, uh, the Netflix series, which... You know, they did, I mean, they've done a lot on Netflix now. How many How many seasons have you seen? I've only, I've actually only watched the first one. Don't go beyond it. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, part of the reason I love Jessica Jones is for Kilgrave. I think that that's a great and terrifying villain. Um, and he's defeated in a way that I think is both, like, makes sense and is satisfying uh, without it being, like, too over the top. Um and I understand that Jessica Jones is kind of an annoying character. Uh, she's a little whiny, a little dramatic. But I think in a way that Thor Ragnarok kind of breaks out of the genre that has been established, I think Jessica Jones does a very similar thing uh, with kind of going for almost this like film noir, like old-timey detective vibe mm-hmm. um, that I really enjoy as an idea for a superhero. She's not going around in a costume nobody really knows who she is uh she's just kind of operating by herself and uh i think that that i really enjoyed it for that aspect i think that i could uh watch this superhero tv show without all of the external trappings of superhero genre um which is something that i would really like to see is superheroes breaking out of that kind of mold and to the point where maybe they don't even have like a superhero name uh, or a superhero costume Uh, but they do have like some kind of super ability that they use uh, for the good of their community 
And uh, the one thing that I brought up was like maybe trying to imagine other stories as superhero stories. So uh, Jennifer and I talk about this a lot. Uh, there's a juvenile series called Lockwood and Company, uh, which deals with uh, a version of England that has been plagued by ghosts for what, like 50 years? 50 years, yeah. Um, and children are better able to sense ghosts. They have certain abilities where you know, maybe they can see them, maybe they can hear them. Maybe they keep a ghost head in a jar that they talk to. Um, but they do have these sort of supernatural abilities that fade as they get older, which is also another interesting aspect. The idea of like you have these powers for a limited time. But I think understanding those books as maybe a different version of a superhero um, whereas like they do go out and uh, like rescue people, make places safer, and they are very visible to their community. Like they are recognizable walking down the street because of mm-hmm. uh, their uniforms. They all have you know these rapiers that they all wear, and they're allowed uh, to be out after curfew. Yes, they're allowed to be out after curfew. <laughs> Ironically, the children. Uh, yes, they're children. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that, that like that's what I that's what I want to see in the superhero genre is. Uh, this you know breaking out of that mold uh, of like the the big blockbuster film, uh, and like like I don't have much exposure to comic books. I never really cared. That was another sort of thing of like the fandom is already there, and I feel too overwhelmed to just step yes. into it. Yes. Because uh, you know there's decades of comic books before me, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's what I would like to see. But. Uh, as far as like big blockbuster films go, there are two that I like in particular that stand out to me, and those are Doctor Strange and Black Panther. Um, those are my two and three. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I love love Doctor Strange and Black Panther, and I think what what I get out of them is more of a sense of tradition and maybe sort of like cultural aesthetic that they are drawing on. Um, that I think is an important aspect to, to play with like Thor obviously comes out of Norse mythology but I feel like they've it's very far removed from like actual Norse mythology aside from names of places and characters so Doctor Strange draws on traditions of sort of uh, Asian Eastern mysticism um, and Black Panther obviously draws in a lot of different cultural elements uh, even going into like Afrofuturism which is a whole genre that I really love also outside of Black Panther. Um, and I think that that really, that sort of backdrop really serves to strengthen the uh, motivation of the superheroes. It gives them a particular tradition to stand in, like we talked about, and gives them a telos that they're working towards uh, because they do have this sort of, uh, this sort of community, this understanding of their world that I think is maybe a little more complete than somebody like Iron Man. Um, so and I think that to me is, is just a, provides a much richer, a much longer, much richer, <laughs> a much, it, that background provides a much richer story uh, that I think doesn't leave me feeling quite so dry at the end mm-hmm. of, a, of a massive battle sequence. So. 
I think what's interesting about Marvel films is that simultaneously Endgame comes out and they're like guess what all the 20 films you've watched they're finally we've reached a conclusion people cheer and then you have people that leave you're like I have to watch how many films to watch Endgame for this to make sense like I think it runs into the same issue of comic books like I have to read how many to understand what's going on yeah what I was saying like I think with issues like comics like with Batman I wouldn't hand somebody Batman number one and be like here are all the Batman stories read 500 of them over 60 years like I would hand somebody different stories and tell different aspects um what I love so much about Jessica Jones though is that she has super strength but that doesn't define her what defines her is her ability to outthink her opponent who can basically control anyone he talks to and that's what I love so much about that that's why I think that villain works so much mm-hmm. and I don't think because I think Marvel has a villain problem because <laughs> so many times the villain is a reflection of the hero and one of the first times it's no longer a reflection it is a power she doesn't understand yet knows and how do you defeat that and i love the very aspects of like her trying to catch him and bring him to justice not by taking him out necessarily but by bringing him to a court bringing him to a court of law and different rules and police and trying to figure that out for a guy you can't talk to or he would win um, my issues with dr strange are i never feel like it wants to be anything but a superhero film I think it has Eastern practices and ideas, but they make really cool visuals. They never really go into the idea of what that means. I think the coolest moment in Doctor Strange is one of the better moments in Marvel is when (laughs) Doctor Strange basically says, I'm a doctor, I can't kill anybody. I've made an oath, like that's not who I am. And the first time you see a difference in what it means to be a superhero, (laughs) like I'm here to protect, I'm not here to kill or hurt, which I really like, but I think Doctor Strange is like a carbon copy of Iron Man put into that movie with a lot of interesting visuals. But even the villain, I think, is weird because they don't quite nail down what they want to do with Doctor Strange, I think, until later movies. Um, and that's my issues with it. I don't know. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, there are also are some issues with uh, whitewashing with the Ancient yeah. One uh, suddenly becoming Celtic. Yeah. Uh, which is not the case in uh, the comic books, um, and that it does. There are just some kind of nebulous, like, what is the point of this film within the rest, uh, or even just as a with a film in and of its own right. Yeah. Uh, but I do. I think I do just appreciate this sort of breaking away from Judeo-Christian uh, influence that is can be seen in a lot of the other films. And at least attempting to incorporate uh, some different sort of religious uh, ties or traditions there. I think they and they could do a they could certainly do a lot more with exploring that than they do. That's what I love about the Doctor Strange character in other films is he might be one of the most powerful Marvel characters in the cinematic universe, but yet in the other films he is a guide. He is somebody people go to. Even in Thor Ragnarok, they go to him to figure out what's going on. Whereas Odin and all this stuff like he is a spiritual person to teach them stuff not like yeah um and there's even the film coming up is has the idea of a character who's going insane but can change reality and how dr strange might be the person to step in to save her um i really enjoy that aspect a lot more because i think they touched upon that in the movie Mm -hmm. but didn't quite nail it down right one thing in dr strange though that again i do think is whitewashed I think that they don't 
elaborate on this enough, but in his training, he is confronted for the first time with needing to lose his ego and needing to lose his savior complex, which I think are things that are currently tied to like this modern brand of, of white Christianity, basically. And it's when he's studying these Eastern practices, he's basically getting getting a, a Buddhist teaching for a lot of it is like letting go of yourself and stop prioritizing your ego and just do the thing. Um, and that's when I think we see that, that character arc for him. We see that turning point when it's not about Stephen Strange. It is about the universe around him. And I think that that's something that they don't, it happens and you can see it, but they don't give enough context for that, for those teachings. You see him struggling with his broken hands, but you don't see as much of that teaching that he's studying. The books he's stealing from the library, those are sacred texts. I mean, like, yeah. they don't talk about that enough. And they make it funny, you know, um, with Wong being in there and, you know, things disappearing. But, like, it's when he begins to understand and internalize those Eastern practices that he stops being a white rich jackass who pities himself and starts becoming a hero and i think i would have loved to see more of that yes in the movie for sure yeah because they really hammered that into the idea of spider-man with great power comes great responsibility he's given a choice and he fails and he must live with that choice and understand with this power what am i doing i think dr strange the only time he's really learning stuff is like you are like you said not the center of the universe you are one among so many different realities and ideas um use that as you will but understand that stephen strange is not not the most dragged for that yeah when the ancient ones just like oh you know what i'll do you yeah how about your chakras let me just you know rip your consciousness from your body and you know like Instead of twirling the sparklers out in the courtyard, because that's what they look like. They look like cheap fireworks. I'm sorry. <laughs> to burst this bubble, everyone. <laughs> you heard it here first. The effects are terrible when it comes to magic. Wow. But everything else is really cool, but the effect of them opening a portal is the lamest thing ever. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> have you ever done it, Xander? Yeah. Yeah, with a sparkler, I have. If you, if you opened a portal right mm-hmm. here, right now, and we all just... Uh, <laughs> that's so Xander. lame. How dare you? <laughs> Uh, not impressed but I really like that aspect because I think there is something to be said about superheroes taking over the idea of blockbusters and big money big action scenes and I think it's moments like that where we can connect with a person or connect with an idea that brings it back but like I said like it's the distraction the idea like this has to be cloaked in some grand thing that kind of swerves us the other way so Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, I feel very similarly to Elijah as far as Marvel and DC goes. Um, I've always found the sheer volume of volumes to be completely overwhelming as far as the comics go. And I feel the same with the cinematic universe. I mean, I watched like the first Thor and the Iron Man and, you know, the early ones. And then I did. I just gave up because I didn't think they were really that great of a movie. And um, it just became too much to keep up with. Um, the one that I have enjoyed, the couple that I have enjoyed, were Thor Ragnarok and Guardians of the Galaxy because they're colorful and fun and they don't take themselves too seriously. 
um, which is what I like about literally everything I'm learning. <laughs> I like things that are just ridiculous and satirical a lot of times. Um, so some of the things that I do like, um, I was actually surprised to discover that outside of Marvel and DC, there are actually several superhero things that I like. Um, one thing that I do like, I'm not going to talk about it too much because I haven't watched season two yet, um, though, is Umbrella Academy. Um, I really love this idea of these children that are born extraordinary, but then they're sort of thrust into this superhero role. They don't really choose it for themselves um, by this father figure. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of relish it a little bit as kids because, you know, what kid wouldn't love to have superpowers and have free reign with them, but then as adults, which is kind of where the series begins, you're seeing them dealing with all the emotional fallout from this and um, kind of going their separate ways and trying to live their own version of, you know, what they should be, um, either embracing their powers or sometimes trying to completely deny them. Um, and I love the Netflix version because it is more gritty and real life like it's very relatable that kind of existential angst of having this broken childhood and not knowing what to do with yourself as an adult the comics are just so out there and over the top i mean they're enjoyable too but in a completely different way um so that is one thing that i think um does well with the idea of a superhero just because they're so human and relatable. Um, and another one that I'm really excited to talk about, because I know that Xander also likes it. <laughs> what Xander likes uh, it? <laughs> is One Punch Man, which is an anime. And I love it for so many reasons, but the biggest one is that it just turns the superhero genre on its head, and it just unapologetically makes fun of it. It makes fun of anime tropes. It makes fun of everything, and it's so good. Um, but the idea is that you have um, Saitama, who is this regular guy um, working this dead-end office job, miserable with his life, and um, gets confronted by this monster one day, this cr- giant crab man. <laughs> and um, he really doesn't care if he lives or dies in this confrontation. Like, he really does not give a crap. And, uh, but the crab man reveals that he's going to basically kill this kid who drew nipples on him while he was sleeping. And (laughs) so Saitama finds, or comes across this kid and is like, oh God, I have to stop this. You know, I can't let this monster kill this kid just for making fun of him. Um... So in this first confrontation with this monster, he kind of gets his ass handed to him a little bit, even though he does come out on top. But (laughs) after this confrontation, he has this realization about himself that, you know, he doesn't have to work this job that makes him miserable. He could do the hero thing. And, and, you know, it's something that he's always wanted to do since he was a kid. So he starts doing this workout regimen that realistically is not even that hard if you go into like strength training um but he does it so much that all of his hair falls out and he becomes 
super strong and powerful and fast, and he can literally destroy anything with one punch. And at first that seems great because he's this hero that he's always envisioned being from the time he was a boy, but as he has these confrontations with these monsters over and over and he defeats them in one punch, he realizes that this ultimate power is not really what he wanted. He wanted a challenge. He wanted something that felt meaningful and that's not it. And so he, there's a lot of like shots of him just laying in his apartment, just being, I don't know, just existential and lazy a lot of times. And just trying to come to terms with like, what is it that he's really looking for? What is it that he's really wanting? out of these conflicts with these monsters and villains. Um, there's a quote that he says early on in the series, like, overwhelming strength is pretty boring. And he just feels empty because he isn't really being presented with any challenges. And another part of that world that I think is so fascinating is that you have the Hero Association, which kind of... Um, gives order to all these superheroes because he's not the only one and they have this ranking system and so depending on what threat level the monsters are they'll send out you know these certain ranked superheroes their best heroes they say for the most threatening monsters and um Saitama passes all of the physical tests you know with flying colors but he struggles with the written test and so he gets ranked really low and even though he has this ultimate power and uh, kind of has to come to terms with that. Um, and also his sort of partner through all of this is a cyborg that latches on to him very early on and calls him sensei and wants to learn how to gain this ultimate power. But um, Genos, the cyborg, is very much a stereotypical anime hero. He's got the tragic backstory He's super intense, you know, uber disciplined, and he is a perfect foil to Saitama, who is just like, I don't care, whatever. There's a sale at the grocery store, let's go. Like, <laughs> it's just such a good show, and it makes fun of all of those things, but in such a perfect way. Um, I just, yeah, I love it. I have, I have nothing more to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like I like Hat and Make because it was people have mentioned it was like the Wes Anderson X Men. Um, that even though they have powers, they felt the most real, most human because you can relate to them. Um, and the fact that even though they're not like blood related, the family they have, the siblings they have, is the strongest connection, strongest relationship they have in their lives. Um, and so many times it feels like the powers are like a detriment to them. That if they didn't have the powers, they could just be normal people. Um, but I think this is so cool about X-Men too, is the idea of like, these people just want to be treated like normal people. They want normal lives, yet because they have this power, they think, I have to be a superhero. That's what I was trained to be. And you see that dynamic so wonderfully between people like Luther, who was number one, who was super strong and kept fighting day in, day out, and day in and day out, and then eventually gets injured and is given a gorilla body <laughs> by his father as like a reward <laughs> like, yeah. like the idea that like if only the other people were there but then other people like Vanya supposedly doesn't have anything to offer to the team um, she just was kind of there and was bullied and treated horribly 
And then you have Klaus, who drinks his life away because he can't deal with the fact that he sees dead people all the time. Um, I think it's such an interesting take on what it means to be different, yet trying to be the same and trying to live in a world that rejects you but wants to accept you. Like, all of these different juxtapositions of what you're supposed to be and then realizing who you are. <laughs> um, season 2 goes into that a little bit more with the characters. It's different and the same, but I, I agree with you. I think the comic book is a parody of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so ultra superhero, it's kind of hard to read and understand sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the Umbrella Academy is so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those I think people should try. Um, but I love One Punch Man. Uh, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think he's almost like the Japanese Superman. Yes. Because the whole yeah. thing with Superman is like, unlike Batman, he must strive to be perfection. Superman is perfection that strives to be normal. He <laughs> strives to be like the buffoon. Um, and to finally see something like that, like there's time and time again in the comic books where Superman's like, I'm so glad I'm facing this god or evil demon because I can go all out and finally attack you. And you realize like when he fights these villains, he's holding back the entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With One Punch Man, he never holds back. <laughs> That's what's so great about it. Literally, the, the reason he's called One Punch Man is that he ends his fight almost always with one punch <laughs> like it's not a joke it's like it's really yeah. how he lives his life yeah. except for just one punch there's no kick <laughs> <Yeah>. it's crazy <laughs> and how bored he is in life like i love that aspect um it's almost like it's impossible for him to hold back at times too. yeah you know like he has no choice in the matter he's just so overpowered and he can't he can't help it mm-hmm. which i think is so frustrating for him and I think, too, what's really cool, too, is, like, with this power, there's always the people, like, going to him or understanding, like, oh, my gosh, you are the chosen one. You are the one who will defeat this, so you have to step up. And he wants to be that, but there's never that moment, and people just don't care or understand, like, how powerful he is. Uh-huh. And so he just lives his life and dreams and has these moments of, like, grand battles and these uh, epic moments where he can finally be the superhero he wants to be and then realizing, like you said, like, I wonder if bananas are on sale. <laughs> like, after he's one-punched, like, the big villain that no one else can defeat. It's just such, it's become like a nine-to-five to him. Like, yeah. it's, I love the aspect of flipping it on, like, the superhero. Like, it's no longer a calling. It's it's become his day job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's become just as soul-sucking as that office job was. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. There's literally a fight where... You know, there's this facility that's been experimenting on people and creating these hor- horrific monsters, and he gets to, like, the highest level monster in there, and the reason he's so angry is because he realizes they missed the bargain sale at the grocery store. <laughs> and, like, he just ends the fight immediately because he wants to run and try to get to the store before they close. It's like, I don't know. It's just great. It's it's mm-hmm. such a, an interesting take on how, you know, if that, even that could be kind of this purposeless, meandering dead-end job if you were so overpowered that nothing presented a challenge and the way they rank superheroes too like i don't know do you mind if i spoil an aspect Um, (laughs) there's a great character that because they have the rankings of like one through ten i think this guy is ranked like four or five or three or something like really high up um and every time you see him in the manga or in the anime he has this intense stare so intense that it causes you to like go white and like freak out and that's how he defeats his villains and you find out that he has no powers <laughs> he has such anxiety that he has developed this intense stare and that he has no idea what he's doing and every time somebody asks him to do something he freaks out but he has this default stare 
And so he tries to like tries to like get in situations of like I'll train you to do this. Why don't you go do it and I'll watch you to make sure it's good. It's just another aspect of like the world they think it should be is clearly not. And just putting it on its head once again. It's so much fun. It's almost like the superhero profession is just like any other profession where you just fake it till you make it. Exactly. Yeah. I totally have a superpower, guys. Like we were talking about. Moomin Rider the other day we're like what mm. is his power he just rides a bike really well like what <laughs> and throws it at him like, but yeah, he has like the hero's heart which is so funny to me yeah. like he'll see any villain like I have to defeat him like you're just a guy on a bicycle man <laughs> like there's nothing you can do delivering pizzas or something like, <laughs> I think going? he like punches him kicks him and then throws the bike and then he's just like crap that's all I had <laughs> there's no other aspect to my character people delivering pizzas they are heroes <laughs> Well, you know, with everything going on, what's happening? What's going on? What do you mean what's happening? Pizza. Where do you live? Pizza short. There were a couple other things that I wanted to mention that I like that are superhero related, and I'm going to do that as briefly as possible because I know that we're running long. But because um, one of them, so I have a very deep love of like decor and architecture and different styles and things like that um and so I was looking at some of the things that I love one of which is Powerpuff Girls Mm -hmm. I think it was an amazing show ahead of its time I think the reboot they did was garbage and completely destroyed a lot of what made the original Powerpuff Girls so amazing um and Mystery Men, which I rewatched recently, which is not as good as I remember. The Bowler. Um, <laughs> but did have some interesting ideas with this this idea of superheroes as celebrities and having sponsors and Oof. kind of staging these battles just for publicity and things like that. I really wish they had delved more into that in that movie. I think there was a lot there that they kind of glossed over. But um, And then The Incredibles, which, you know, everybody loves. But the one thing that... Um, I think is really interesting is that all of those feature mid-century architecture and decor and so I was trying to figure out why is that why is mid-century this thing that's associated with superheroes because I love mid-century I would decorate my whole house in it if I could Um, so I did a little research and Marvel was established um, in what was it like 1939 Mm -hmm and kind of came into its heyday in 1961, Mm -hmm. which lines up perfectly with the atomic era and mid-century timeline. So I just wonder if Mm. that's why that style of decor and sets and architecture is so prevalent in superhero um, mythology. If you think about like literally the roots of mainstream superhero you know that was when sci-fi was becoming a a huge thing superheroes Mm -hmm. were becoming a huge thing what kirby and lee did yeah set the groundwork for superhero stories i mean there's no contention no matter how you feel about superheroes like they set the groundwork for it and so it makes complete sense that that would find its Mm -hmm. way into like the original comics have all that same Mm -hmm. style to them um, the same art style to mm-hmm. them. It makes perfect sense when you bring it up that that would be very pervasive yeah. even today in what we're seeing. Yeah, I just think that's interesting that it's stuck around and that's become part of like the superhero aesthetic is yeah. this 
mid-century look. What I always think of when I watch The Incredibles, because uh, I've always noticed that like mid-century style, uh, it always reminds me of James Bond, yes. mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting kind of connection to make with a superhero. But, I mean, The Incredibles especially have a lot of that with all the gadgetry and the cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even like Mirage in the first one is kind of a Bond girl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and that's just an interesting like it, it's all around the same era. I was gonna say uh, similar time. And I think it maybe with the technology that we have now, it's maybe a little less like stunning to see some of the, like the inventions in superhero movies. But mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. So much of like the the gadgets and things that they used were like totally, you know, like beyond imagination. The height of innovation. And, uh, yeah. and so I think kind of removing us from, you know, our modern time back to that helps reestablish some of that wonder around, you know, some of their powers and some of their uh, inventions. It's interesting looking at one of the bigger superhero films that first came out were X Men which in the comic books are super colorful and like imaginative and then you see the movies and they reject that style which i think also didn't help the audience uh connection because i think going back to ragnarok i think one of the reasons you latch onto is like holy crap like there are colors in this film where have all the colors been like the idea of like comic books are kind of like star wars like i set this new benchmark of what storytelling could be like the idea of gadgets and wonder colors um and a superhero film should embrace that as opposed to trying to hide that um i think is a real detriment but i think that's really interesting because i never noticed that yeah. with the mid-century um architecture is really fascinating and i need to <laughs> look back into that yeah, even when you look back at like the superman show from the 90s and even smallville to mm-hmm. an extent I mean, that's less city mid-century, but that is mid-century country life in Smallville. And, you know, the Lois Lane from that Superman television show, mm-hmm. she's got, like, the giant curlers in her hair. Yeah. And, like, Clark Kent's, like, that kind of mm-hmm. nerd with the business suit and the big glasses <laughs> that we all still wear, apparently. <laughs> it's coming back. <laughs> We're coming back, people. Nerd culture. But, like, you don't even think about it because it is just, like, you kind of secretly expect so yeah you're not really taken back by it until you're like oh wait no like literally everything mm-hmm. has that style to yeah. it that's really cool and it's also i i think there's a certain glamour to mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s in particular mm-hmm. yeah uh that was really kind of on the decline by the mid 1960s and into the 70s um but to, to kind of harken back to that as with you know these superheroes as very glamorous individuals like the costumes are not just there to hide their identity but to make them look really yeah. good stand out <laughs> um, yeah. yeah certainly not to hide the bulge <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on batman has nipples on his suit don't look at me like that. that one movie we don't talk about <laughs> <laughs> that crowd was so mad about that <laughs> yeah i um Oh, no, about your comment about color. Um, I also feel like, <laughs> interestingly enough, the Atomic Era was sort of this era of, I feel like, hopeful inventiveness. 
because um, if you look back, my husband got this huge box of magazines from that time period, and you know it does have a lot of the gadgets and and the innovations that were going on at that time. And there's just this sense of like hope for the future, and we're yeah. innovating, and we're you know everything's changing daily, and it's all for the better, you know, the greater good of mankind. And I think that's why things were colorful back then because there was more hope and light in the world and now in the world we live in everyone is so just cynical and bitter and we want our remakes gritty and we want you know things to be dark and I feel like that's why every superhero movie with the exception of Ragnarok is just gray mm-hmm. and yeah yeah um you know we focus on that existentialism and that angst a lot more than they did back then, I think. Yeah. That is something that they do kind of almost secretly address in some of the Marvel movies where you're talking about Tony Stark's dad. You're talking about going to places like state fairs and showing off these amazing new inventions. Mm -hmm. And there's dancing girls in sequin costumes and fireworks and Mr. Stark comes out with his mustache and, you know, like, there's that whole vibe to it of you know, this was this. These were our ancestors, as far as superhero worlds are are considered. Like these are the very roots that we're coming from. Are these colorful, exciting, flashy showman kind of things that we're almost ashamed of now? They're corny. They're kind of like mm-hmm. passe. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, Tony Stark has his own way of doing it in the Marvel movies, which is equally flashy, flashy and terrifying, and just very stark but it doesn't have the same level of color and flash and look at what we're doing for the future and mm-hmm. look at how retro futuristic this is it's like here's my new car it blows shit up you know it's, <laughs> it's exciting but it doesn't have that showmanship yeah. that it did have yeah even going back and thinking of iron man uh, like because what was so great about his dad is his dad was helped help establish shield and had this team and this idea of like we together would push forward and you have tony just sitting there by himself making an iron man costume um with all these different robots it's a suit oh sorry (laughs) 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 and even like when he gets this uh the suit on he wants to put it in bright red because that's his personality his ego Um, but you get that sense of loss of like i don't know it must have been the loss of his father, like the loss of his father, or loss of something else, to drive him to work on things on his own and push forward because only he can do it. Um, and I think that helps him and messes with him too because he doesn't have that sense of tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow I can do it. I have to push forward because only I can do it. Um, he's not wrong apparently because <laughs> yeah, I mean, once again, like we can go into that too with the Marvel films of right and wrong and Tony and Captain America and their ideas of team and superheroes too but that would be a whole other topic Um, but I think I think you're right though that there is that loss there's like a longing for it but can never trust anybody enough to bring them in Mm -hmm. even Rhodey who I guess he would eventually give the suit to just takes it Um, and you get the line of like maybe he gave him permission to like you don't just take a suit from Tony Stark but there's never the sense of the connection of giving the suit and is taking the suit and until Spider-Man and using it on your own. Around. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a, after the fact. So it's Yeah, and that's a whole thing too of like the understanding of I, I don't have to be my father. I can be better for this kid who needs help. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's a whole idea, and there's a great comic book of this idea of like the 50s and the 60s superheroes looking and seeing what it's like now and just being appalled about all that is happening um, in the world. And not, yeah, and not being able to change anything. or like The understanding that you could punch the villain and he or she would go to jail. It's probably he, you know what I mean, in the 50s and 60s, would go to jail. And then now you punch somebody and their arm pops off. Like There's something to it being more real and realistic and gritty and dark that I don't think... I think some have found the balance too, but not all of them. But, um, I think with superheroes, there's always the need to say it's this, it's this, I enjoy it because of this, I enjoy it because of that. Um, and once again, I think the coolest thing about superheroes is like with these powers that they want us to watch and marvel at, uh, pun intended, um, <laughs> they give us a chance to break free of our world, but understand and take something with us back to our world. Uh, one superhero I love to talk about, but don't talk about, uh, haven't talked about much on the podcast is Spider-Man, who's almost an exception to the rule of this choice, this idea of being the most vulnerable and doing the right thing. Um, because when he gains his powers and becomes vulnerable, he's given the choice to stop a villain, and he says no. And it costs him the life of his Uncle Ben, um, and he lives with that for the rest of his life and becomes this troubled young man trying to always do the right thing. And it becomes one of the most popular superheroes because of that idea of a superhero isn't perfect. A superhero isn't everything you want them to be. A superhero is somebody who tries to do the right thing. Um, and that can be useful in any situation in our lives of trying to remember the moments when we need to do the right thing or should say the right thing. It doesn't mean that it's going to come out the right way or it's going to be the right thing or we're going to do it always perfectly but just the need and want and desire to try to be better. Um, something we can all strive to be. And I think superheroes show us that aspect. So. It's beautiful. <laughs> so true, though. Like, yeah. That's why we watch these stories. That's why we love them. Even if you like Ragnarok, or if you yeah. like the darker side of things, like it's the same result. And I think that, that that's very unifying. Yeah. A great segue into part two of this episode. <laughs> you talked about this for six hours. <laughs> um, so to give some recommendations for what you can read, I think one of the coolest um, comic books you can read with Batman is The Long Halloween, which The Dark Knight is based on, but it's so much better than The Dark Knight, which is weird for me to say because I love The Dark Knight so much, um, but it's the story of Batman as a detective. Um, another great one <laughs> that's recently new is Batman White Knight, which I reference. Um, Joker being a good guy for once. Um, he is cured and he has to find a way to hold on to it and to figure out his own identity. And then you get the cool aspect of Harley Quinn. Who is she? Um, and of course, the biggest one that I'll go into later is Watchmen, which challenges everything from superheroes to government to police to our idea of ourselves. It's one of the most perfect comic books of all time. Um, so if you can read any three of those, read Watchmen, because <laughs> it's the coolest one. All right, so my recommendation is a little out of left field. It's actually an album. Um, when Black Panther came out, uh, Kendrick Lamar was asked to put together, to curate an album uh, of different artists um, and songs that sort of represent uh, the tone and theme uh, or tone and themes of the movie um, and it really is just an excellent album and I think it's a 
it's something that I really love to see come out of Marvel is uh, this idea of something being a little more generative. So like we're going to watch this movie and it's going to inspire us to go out and do other things. Um, so I mentioned earlier uh, Afrofuturism, um, which is just a, it's a cultural aesthetic um, that can be found in a lot of different sources. Um, and Black Panther sort of stands as a really good example because it does it is very futuristic. Um, but one of the cool things about Afrofuturism is that it can also be stories from the past that are reimagined in order to better imagine the future. Um, and so just this idea that uh, Black Panther, which is a superhero movie, can be something that is inspirational to help us reimagine the future and be creative in different ways outside of just you know strict storytelling. So I think that album is a really cool uh, example of that. Um, so my recommendation is going to be the antithesis of everything we've talked about today, and that is the movie Hancock, um, which is a terrible movie, but I love it. It's I one of my it. guilty pleasures. I love Will Smith, and I don't care who knows it, um, but he is the worst goddamn superhero in the entire freaking universe. He is shit-ass worthless. He's terrible. He's a drunk. He's abusive gratuitous sex scene that I won't get into <laughs> that's really funny like but in those things we see true heartbreak we see true humanity and we do see everything that we have talked about today about finding yourself when you have those powers and making those choices and so can talk I have two quick recs the first one is a music video um <laughs> It is by a K-pop group called Crayon Pop, and the song is called <laughs> FM, as in FM radio. And it is the weirdest Saban slash Sailor Moon mashup I've ever seen. And it embodies what I love about the superhero genre, cheesy effects, subpar acting, magical elements, think Power Rangers, but even, oh, friend, Tommy. even cheesier. Yeah, Tommy, remember Tommy? Tommy? Um, so it's a really fun music video, and if you like it, you should check out more of their songs. Um, and then a card game called Super Fight, which is arguably one of the funnest games I've ever played. It's kind of like apples to apples. You get you have the black cards, which I believe are the um, the modifiers, and then the white cards are the characters, or it might be the other way around. But either way, you get a hand of character cards and you can play your character card on each turn, and then you draw two random modifiers. So the one that sticks in my mind, the most memorable one we've ever had, was 100-foot-tall Gandhi um, with a velociraptor. So the, the card itself was Gandhi, and then the modifiers we drew were that he was 100 feet tall and he had a velociraptor. And we just imagined this serene 100-foot-tall Gandhi walking through this city with a velociraptor sitting on his shoulder, um, but then everyone else plays their similar cards, and then basically you have to argue which character is going to win this fight um, based on what powers they've been given by the random drawing. And it is so, so freaking fun. Um, so yeah, super fight. And I have two kid-friendly superhero recs, but I'll put those on the blog. Uh, yeah, so please see the blog for more recommendations, as well as the rest of JJ's origin story and any other thoughts 
I'm too verbose. I'm sorry. No, we love it. Um, there's also places on there that you can email us or leave us a reply. Um, if there's something you'd like to add, a point you'd like to argue, for example, if you think Ragnarok is the best Marvel movie ever made, please feel free to write that down. Or the other way. Or if you think it's Trish. It might be Trish. <laughs> All right. Let's not forget Korg. Let us not forget. Um, so the next episode is actually going to be an extension of this episode where we talk about superhero stories in relation to a real-world problem we see pretty consistently, um, police brutality and government corruption. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy superheroes. Or not. It doesn't matter. We enjoy listening anyway. See you later. Enjoy our blog. Goodbye. Super suckers. <laughs> <laughs>